those who fail to learn history are condemned to repeat it. That's the famous quote by Voltaire, of course. Although Napoleon also said, history is a set of lies agreed upon. (laughs) But that's a subject for, well, maybe not another video. Maybe that's a subject for a Patreon podcast. Now I say all this in relation to the heavyweight division. Specifically this man right here, Evander Holyfield. Because we all know that he is widely regarded as, if not the greatest cruiserweight of all time, certainly top two. But most people would say the greatest. But he was also a very useful heavyweight. But he wasn't regarded as a really, you know, a great heavyweight champion for the majority of his heavyweight run. I was around at the time, I remember exactly how Holyfield was received by the public and by the press. And as difficult as this may be for some of you to believe, I can assure you it's true. Holyfield was called things like a fraud by many people within the boxing press when he was world heavyweight champion. He was called a fraud. Can you imagine a guy with as much heart, tenacity, and willingness to fight anybody as Holyfield, who's got great wins on his record, Him being called a fraud? This is where you have to learn from history. Okay, and I'm going to take you for a little trip through boxing history here as it pertains to Holyfield's career. So I'm going to start off with when he stepped up to heavyweight for the first time in 1988. So he fought James Tillis in his first heavyweight fight. Keep in mind the weight Holyfield's at here. At a time in the 1980s, the cruiserweight division was a very new division. So after he stepped up to heavyweight, uh, cruiserweight was 190 pounds then. He put on 12 pounds between his final cruiserweight fight and his first heavyweight fight. So 202 pounds he was against James Tillis. And all the guys he was fighting here were at the tail end of their career. Okay, the likes of James Tillis, Pinklin Thomas, Michael Dokes, Adelson Rodriguez was a Brazilian fringe contender, little more than that. Alex Stewart, he managed to stop him in eight rounds. Then he fought Seamus McDonough. And by the way, both of these guys were born in England, <laughs> Alex Stewart and Seamus McDonough. Although actually, was Alex Stewart born in Jamaica or England? But I know he grew up in England, but then he based himself in America. In fact, out of curiosity, we're... okay, no, he was born in England. But again, these guys, Alex Stewart was a fringe contender, nothing more than that. Seamus McDonough, not even a fringe contender. And he was born in Birmingham, (laughs) right? So Holyfield's route to the world heavyweight title, and he was supposed to fight Mike Tyson. He became mandatory challenger for Mike Tyson. His route to the world heavyweight title was one where he fought some washed up former champions and a bunch of fringe contenders. There was nobody really strong here. There was none of the top contenders during Holyfield's, uh, you know, run to the title. No top contenders at all. So by the time he became mandatory for Mike Tyson, you know, a lot of people were unconvinced. They said he's a small guy. Can he really punch the way you need to, to be a top heavyweight? As you see, 
against Michael Dokes, 208 pounds, 208, even going into the Douglas fight. Anyway, he managed to defeat Douglas and he won a few people over because he was able to get Douglas out of there in three rounds. Although Douglas wasn't in anywhere near as good shape for the Holyfield fight as he was against Mike Tyson. And so there were still people who are kind of skeptical about Holyfield at this stage. Then he fights George Foreman. Now, for those of you who don't know, George Foreman retired in the late 1970s after he lost to a guy called Jimmy Young. He came back 10 years later in his late 30s. And he fought a bunch of absolute puddings, cream puffs, journeymen, road sweepers, until he, you know, he was kind of seen as a novelty act, George Foreman, when he came back, because he didn't fight any of the top contenders. I think he fought maybe a former cruiserweight in, uh, well, he did fight a former cruiserweight champion in Dwight Muhammad Kawi, but the size difference was ridiculous. I mean, Dwight Muhammad Kawi is about 5'5". Five five. And back then, the cruiserweight division limit was 190 pounds. And Kawi wasn't even a big cruiserweight. And he fought Foreman, he was like 260 or something. It was, it was crazy. <laughs> so Foreman ended up dealing with him uh, because the size discrepancy was just absurd. A five foot five guy going up against a six foot four George Foreman. And the five foot five guy, didn't Kawi fight a light heavyweight early on in his career? I, I swear he did. So the size difference was just absurd. Yeah, he did. So Carl Wee started his career as a light heavyweight, five foot seven inches tall. <laughs> right? And that guy, and that guy, when he was way past his best anyway, fought George Foreman. Okay. So that was probably the best name that Foreman fought prior to getting his title shot against Holyfield during his comeback. And just to show you, he loses to Jimmy Young in 1977, takes 10 years off, and he comes back as a fat man in his late 30s fights an absolute ton of cream puffs <laughs> okay did manage to stop Burt Cooper who's a journeyman in two rounds and I'll come back to the significance of that later Jerry Cooney again who was coming off a big long layoff and was a, a you know he did fight Larry Holmes for the title but other than Jerry Cooney and uh, what's the guy? Dwight Muhammad Kawi. There was no names on there at all that, you, that most of you would recognize. So he continued fighting cream puffs. I mean, look at these guys that he was fighting. Terry Anderson, Ken Lacusta, Adelson Rodriguez. He eventually gets his shot at Holyfield. So Holyfield, as the new young champion, he is expected by the press to dispatch of George Foreman. As far as they're concerned, he's an active fighter in his late 20s. He's going up against George Foreman, who had been out of the ring for 10 years plus. He's overweight. He's only been fighting cream puff since his comeback. There's no way that he should be able to go 12 rounds with Holyfield. This guy got stopped in his prime by Muhammad Ali, like back in the 70s. So it's inconceivable that Holyfield should go the distance with this guy. He should stop him. But what happens? Holyfield goes the distance with him. So this draws a lot of skepticism from the press and from the public. 
They're looking at it like, nah, man, Holyfield should have got rid of this old man. What's going on there? Holyfield was living in Mike Tyson's shadow and he hated living in Mike Tyson's shadow. But the press would never let him forget about that fact. So anyway, after the George Foreman fight, he was supposed to fight Mike Tyson. Holyfield was really looking forward to this because he felt like this is his chance to prove that he is better than Mike Tyson and this will solidify his position as the real world heavyweight champion. But Mike Tyson goes to prison. We all know why he's well documented. He goes to prison. Holyfield's disappointed. They try and save the show. So they bring in Francesco Damiani, an Italian heavyweight, an Olympian. Damiani pulls out the fight. I can't remember if it was injury or something else. So they're looking for a very late replacement and in steps Burt Cooper, who was 26 and 7. Burt Cooper was stopped early by the likes of uh, George Foreman, Riddick Bowe, and you know multiple other losses. So he's a journeyman who was coming in at very, very late notice. He's a, a, a former cruiserweight who's moved up like Holyfield is. Holyfield is expected to dispatch of this guy with ease. Again, think about it. Holyfield is the guy they're talking about is the biggest threat to Mike Tyson. Burt Cooper, a guy of similar dimensions to Mike Tyson, much longer arms, but in terms of height, very similar dimensions, uh, but nowhere near on Tyson's level in terms of ability. So Holyfield's supposed to blow this guy out. In the first round, it looks like he will because he drops Cooper early with a body shot. But then Cooper comes back, drills Holyfield with a big right hand over the top, has Holyfield in all types of trouble and Holyfield receives a standing count. Holyfield nearly gets stopped by a late replacement journeyman with seven losses who's been KO'd early in fights before. And people are looking at this thinking, hang on, how on earth can anyone say Holyfield's even got a chance against Mike Tyson after watching this Burt Cooper fight? Holyfield eventually does rally back and stops Cooper in seven. But still, he had the fright of his life. Lennox Lewis was part of the commentary team for Sky that night. And he said that Holyfield has been exposed based upon what happened there. So this particular fight right here drew the most criticism out of all of Holyfield's performances at heavyweight to date. This one was the one that really had the press and the boxing public being scathing towards Holyfield. Then he fights Larry Holmes. Holmes is in his 40s. So imagine, out of Holyfield's three world heavyweight title defenses, his first three, two of them were against people over the age of 40. Foreman was about 42. I think Larry Holmes was around that same kind of age. Guys in their 40s. Holmes several years earlier, was it in 88, 87, had been knocked out by Mike Tyson in four rounds. Holyfield, if he's to redeem his reputation, he has to go in there and dispatch of Larry Holmes. He ends up going the distance and the fight is highly competitive. Now there are, you know, circumstances which 
I think it's only fair to reveal, and that is the fact that Larry Holmes was a lot more active going into the Holyfield fight and a lot better prepared than he was going into the Tyson fight. But still, I'm talking about the public perception and the press perception. And their perception at the time was, he needs to get rid of Larry Holmes. This is several years after Mike Tyson wiped him out in four. And yet he's going the distance with this 40-something-year-old man? This guy doesn't stand a chance against Mike Tyson. Furthermore, as soon as he comes up against a legitimate, proper heavyweight who's young and has ability, he's going to get beat. He's too small. He doesn't have the punching power. This guy is a fraud of a heavyweight champion. This is what the press and the public were saying at the time. He then fights Riddick Bow, and although Holyfield was a slight favorite, I think, going into that first Bow fight, there were a lot of people in the press and in the public who felt like Bow was going to win, and he did. Now, this fight right here, again, look at the weight. Holyfield just 205 pounds, Bow 235, so he's giving away 30 pounds in weight. But this fight right here, ironically, did redeem Holyfield's reputation in a loss, right? Because he showed so much heart, so much tenacity. And it was such a great fight, this uh, first fight against Riddick Bowe, one of the great heavyweight title fights of all time. He definitely gained a lot more respect from the press and from the public in defeat than he'd ever gained in victory. But nonetheless, people were still saying, Look, Holyfield's a brave guy. We respect him now. Maybe we've been harsh on him in the past, but he's still too small. The Riddick Bow fight shows it. They went toe-to-toe. Bow hurt him on numerous occasions, dropped him, but he couldn't hurt Bow. This is what they were saying. So maybe it's time for him to hang him up. Holyfield was like, nah, I'm going to continue. He came back and he had a rematch with Alex Stewart. The fight goes the distance. And the press are saying, if he's hoping for this rematch with Riddick Bowe, he needs to be getting rid of Alex Stewart if he, stand, if he wants to stand any chance against Bowe. But yeah, he's going the distance. Alex Stewart is a guy who was knocked out in one round by Mike Tyson. One round. And yet Holyfield's going 12 rounds? What's that all about? This is what they were saying. He goes into the Riddick, Riddick Bowe rematch as a big underdog. I think he was like six to one or seven to one, something like that underdog. He ends up upsetting the odds. He was trained by Manny Stewart for this fight. Came in at a career heaviest 217, but Riddick Bow was still much heavier at 246. So again, another, just like the first fight, almost 30 pound advantage for Riddick Bow. But he changes his tactics. He doesn't slug as much with Bow in the rematch. He moves around more uses his legs, doesn't get involved as much. Obviously, there was the famous fan man incident in that fight. But he wins a majority decision, and it was a big upset. But again, he did it with moving around the ring, and people were also blaming Riddick Bowe's condition. Oh, he was overweight, he didn't take it seriously, he thought it was a foregone conclusion. So although Holyfield's win, winning a lot of respect at this point, people are still not convinced by him. <laughs> you know, they're saying, oh yeah, he's, he's a good tactician and he can move around. But if it was the Riddick Bowl from the first fight, he still would have lost. Because Holyfield's not a big puncher and blah, blah, blah. Then he fights Michael Mora. 
a guy who, like him, turned his, you know, started professional at light heavyweight, then moved up to cruiserweight and then heavyweight. He loses to Mora in pretty disappointing fashion. Holyfield looked tired in the fight. He later revealed that he had a shoulder injury. And at one stage, he had his license revoked. It was somewhere around this period of Holyfield's career, the 94-95 period here. I can't remember if it was after the Mora fight or the Bow fight, but around this period, Holyfield has had his license revoked because they discovered that he had some type of heart condition. So at this stage, his career is really looking like it's over. You know, his, his health is, is not where it should be. And people are saying, look, he's had a great run. He's been a very brave guy, but he really needs to retire now. He ignores that. He dusts himself off after the Michael Mora loss, the points defeat. He did drop Mora in the fight, but ultimately he was outpointed. And of course, that fight is famous for Teddy Atlas's performance in the corner as Michael Mora's trainer, very <laughs> over-the-top theatrical performance. He then fights Ray Mercer. Now, this was the first fight in Holyfield's career where he started to convince some of his critics that he actually hit harder than they were giving him credit for because Ray Mercer was known for having a tremendous chin and Holyfield of all people became the first person to drop Ray Mercer. Think about this now. Ray Mercer had fought, you know, renowned punchers like Tommy Morrison and he'd later fight Lennox Lewis and neither of them could put him on the canvas. But Holyfield ends up being the guy to drop Ray Mercer for the first time as a pro. Holyfield's not a noted puncher. It was late in the fight. It was, you know, wasn't a devastating knockdown or anything. Ray Mercer took a knee. But nonetheless, a lot of people looked at that and thought, okay, maybe Holyfield's got more power than we've been giving him credit for over the years. Now, of course, Mercer went on very late in his career to get knocked out by the likes of Shannon Briggs and Klitschko. But that was after the Lennox Lewis fight where he suffered nerve damage in his neck. That nerve damage eventually required surgery and his punch resistance was noticeably very much diminished after he had that neck surgery. But prior to that neck surgery, this guy's chin was cast iron. I think only McCall, Oliver McCall, you would say, had a better chin, maybe uh, maybe Tua, Tua. But other than those guys, you know, Mercer was right up there with the best chins in the heavyweight division. But Holyfield managed to dent it, which was interesting. Then he went into the Riddick Bowe trilogy fight. And although he did drop Riddick Bowe, and again, this made people start thinking, hang on, Holyfield hits harder than we've been giving him credit for. Because Bowe had never been down before. Holyfield caught him with a big left hook. And Bowe was badly hurt. I mean, he was literally a punch or two away from getting cleaned out. He was badly hurt. Holyfield didn't have the energy to finish him. And again, Holyfield ended up losing the fight by knockout the first time he's, he'd ever been stopped. It was the most brutal of their three fights, really, the third fight, because both guys went down and both guys were badly hurt. And of course, this fight ended inside the distance. The other two fights went the distance. Holyfield was dropped with a big right hand in the eighth. He fell flat on his face. He got up, but he had nothing left. 
Rudy Bow pummeled him into the ropes and the referee stepped in to stop it. That really, at that stage, looked like the end for Holyfield. You know, he was into his 30s by now and he'd had, you know, health issues. He'd now been knocked out. He'd had so many tough fights against different people, taken lots of punishment. It looked like the end. But Holyfield stubbornly refused to give up. He came back against Bobby Chez. Didn't look impressive in that fight. Bobby Chez, a guy who was a former light heavyweight, again like Holyfield. He then fights Mike Tyson. Now Mike Tyson had come out of prison in 95. And he'd started tearing through the heavyweight division. He knocked out Peter McNeely in a round. He knocked out Buster Mathis in three. He then had the rematch with Frank Bruno when Frank Bruno was the incumbent WBC heavyweight champion and he destroyed Bruno in three rounds far easier than he destroyed Bruno several years earlier when he stopped him in five in their first fight. He then knocked out Bruce Seldon in one round. Bruce Seldon at the time was, was he WBA? I think it was WBA heavyweight champion. Correct me if I'm wrong. Was it WBA or IBF? I forget which. But anyway, he destroyed Bruce Seldon. Holyfield was seen as a sacrificial lamb for Mike Tyson at this stage. He hadn't been knocking people out. Mike Tyson had been blasting through people his whole career that had taken Holyfield the distance in some instances. Like Alex Stewart taking Holyfield 12, Mike Tyson knocked him out in one. So people were looking at this fight like, yeah, Holyfield's brave, but he, he's going to get absolutely mullered here. He's washed up. Holyfield's way past his best. This is what all the boxing press was saying. Holyfield doesn't have the power to stand up to somebody like Mike Tyson. He doesn't have the natural size. Mike Tyson is a small heavyweight, but he's a natural heavyweight. Holyfield's just a pumped up cruiserweight. Who's had health problems and he's at the end of his career. There's no way he's got a chance against Tyson. And I was in that camp as well. I didn't think he could beat Tyson. But he went in there and not only did he beat Tyson, he beat him up. He stood it right in front of the man with this ferocious punching power and he went blow for blow with him. And he was the one who won by stoppage. So everything that the critics believed was proved to be wrong. The Holyfield didn't have the power, wasn't strong enough, that he was washed up, all this stuff. It was only after the Mike Tyson fights, because of course, you know, he had the rematch, the infamous bite fight. It was only after these fights, really and truly, that the critics really started giving Holyfield the respect that he deserved all along as a heavyweight. It was only after the Tyson fights. And by this stage, again, people thought that Holyfield was on the brink of retirement. <laughs> they thought he was washed up by the time he fought Tyson it took him all these years at heavyweight before they finally started giving him some credit and finally started taking him seriously think about that so the moral of the story is today you've got small heavyweights like Usek and Hunter and people are dismissing them because they've been the distance with Chisora and they've been the distance with Povetkin. Those who fail to learn history are condemned to repeat it. Just because somebody is small 
and they they're not a knockout artist, it doesn't mean they can't have very good wins at heavyweight. Now, people are going to say, yeah, but the heavyweights today are much bigger than the heavyweights in Holyfield's era. Well, the truth is, Holyfield is smaller than Michael Hunter and Usyk. Oh, yes, he is. Holyfield turned pro at light heavyweight. When he was a cruiserweight, he was 190 pounds. For his title shot against Douglas, what was he, 205? Alexander Usyk is way bigger than Holyfield naturally. Michael Hunter is bigger than Holyfield naturally. So the weight difference, the natural weight difference between somebody like Usyk and AJ is pretty similar to the natural weight difference between somebody like Holyfield and Bo or Holyfield and Lewis. Oh yes, it is. So all that stuff about, oh, the heavyweights today are bigger, you can throw that out the window because we're talking about the difference in size is very similar between Usyk, Hunter and the big heavyweights. Now you've got Tyson Fury, who's 260 plus, who's, you know, the biggest top heavyweight around at the moment. But again, Holyfield fought George Foreman, who though he was old, he was like 260 pounds or 250 pounds or whatever when Holyfield was like 210. So, again, learn from history. Because you guys who are dismissing the Hunters and the Useks right now, you would have been the same people dismissing Holyfield back in the days. You would have been the same people saying, there's no way he's got a chance against Tyson if he's nearly getting knocked out by journeymen like Burt Cooper, a guy who was a late replacement, seven losses, and took the fight at the very last minute. And Holyfield nearly gets knocked out by him in a world heavyweight title fight? And he's going the distance with 40-year-olds in his first three defenses? I mean, you look at Holyfield's first three defenses and it's pretty poor in terms of the level of opposition. Yeah, he's got two heavyweight legends in there, but they're way past their primes. They're in their 40s. And he's going the distance with a pair of them and especially against Holmes. He's struggling. And nearly getting knocked out by Burt Cooper. Okay, so, and, you know, further on, going the distance with Alex Stewart who got knocked out in one round by Tyson. So you guys would have been dismissing Holyfield. You guys would have been, as the, most critics were at the time, saying that he's a fraud as a heavyweight champion. This guy, you know, people look at Holyfield now and understand that he was a great fighter. But at the time, they weren't saying that. It's not until he fought Mike Tyson that he really started winning the majority of people over. Prior to that, there was so much skepticism about Holyfield. Yeah, the, the bow fights got him a certain degree of respect in terms of his heart. But, but his ability as a fighter, as a heavyweight, he only really got respect for that after the Tyson fights. And that was actually towards the tail end of Holyfield's uh, championship career. <laughs> so I'm, I'm sure there are going to be all kind of idiots in the comments. Yeah, but Usyk and... A hunter and not Holyfield. How could you compare them to Holyfield? So you knew that Holyfield was going to be a great fighter, did you? When he was getting knocked about by Burt Cooper. When he was struggling with Larry Holmes. You knew he was going to be a great fighter. No, no, you didn't. Most of you weren't even watching boxing then. And those who were watching boxing then, you didn't think he was going to be a great heavyweight at that point. Give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's not make the same mistake. And, and again, 
I'm not saying Usek or Hunter will be as great as Holyfield, but I'm also not saying that Tyson Fury or Anthony Joshua will be as great as Lennox Lewis or Mike Tyson. You understand what I'm saying? I'm just trying to convey the fact that just because somebody's small, just because they're not knocking people out, it doesn't mean they can't be effective against much bigger heavyweights. You see, the thing about being a small heavyweight is you have a certain level of mobility which often becomes apparent when you finally step in there against one of the giants. And you see the difference in mobility between the two. I mean, when Anthony Joshua fought in the Olympics, the guy who gave him by far the most issues was the smallest guy that he fought. Facts. Because he destroyed Ivan Ditchko, a guy who's like 6'8". He destroyed that Chinese guy who Eddie Hearn just signed. He's also about 6'6 or 6'7". He had a tough fight, but a close fight with Camarell in the final, a guy who he had previously beat. But the one guy who Anthony Joshua realistically lost to, I mean, the vast majority of objective observers will tell you that Anthony Joshua blatantly lost in the Olympics to Eris Landy Savon. And that was the smallest guy that he'd fought in that Olympics. The smallest guy gave him the most problems. And by the way, just to show you how styles make fights, Ivan Ditchko, a guy who AJ destroyed in the Olympics, beat Erislandi Savon. How about that? Okay, styles make fights. Tyson Fury has long said the toughest fight he's had in his career wasn't the first Wilder fight. It wasn't the Klitschko fight. He says the toughest fight he's had, the toughest opponent was Steve Cunningham. Steve Cunningham is one of the smallest people that Tyson Fury has fought. Steve Cunningham wasn't even a big puncher at cruiserweight, much less heavyweight. And he gave Tyson Fury his toughest fight. Think about that. Out of all the huge guys Tyson Fury's fought, his toughest fight was against one of the smallest. And against one of the, on paper, lightest punching. Now people are going to say, yeah, but that was Fury years ago. He's much better than that now. He'd destroy Cunningham now. He'd destroy any small heavyweight now, would he? What's that based upon? Because he hasn't fought anybody like Cunningham since. He hasn't fought any small, light heavyweight who can move around. I say light heavyweight, I'm not talking about division. I mean, he's light in his weight, whatever he was, 210 pounds. Mobile, skillful heavyweight. He hasn't fought anybody like that since. You're just assuming that he would have no issue now with a small, mobile heavyweight. Well, I'm not interested in those kind of assumptions. I'm interested in actually seeing him in the ring with a small mobile heavyweight again <laughs> and seeing if he can cope with the movement better this time than he could last time because in that Cunningham fight in the first round Tyson Fury realized that because Cunningham was so light on his feet it was going to be difficult to find his range for Tyson Fury to find his range and so he started goading Cunningham and telling him stand in front of me fight and beating his chest and all this kind of stuff because he knew that the way this guy was moving around it's going to be difficult to pin him down going to be difficult to land accurately. So he was golden Cunningham and trying to get him to come in and come at him. And of course that backfired in the second round when, when Fury hit the deck hard. And then he changed tactics. He put his arms up and he said, you know what? I can't even box with this guy 
because he's 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 so light, he's he's so maneuverable. I'm just going to need to, you know, overpower him because boxing with him is too risky. And that was the first time that Tyson Fury had done that in a long time, just tried to overpower an, an opponent. But he did it against Steve Cunningham because the movement was giving him problems. That's why he did it. A couple fights ago, Tyson Fury fought Otto Wallen, a southpaw like Alexander Usek. I believe Wallen's about 6'5", Usek 6'3". Now Wallen has relatively quick feet, nowhere near as quick as Usek, but relatively quick feet. He was able to land a left hand on Tyson Fury in that fight and cut his eye. Now if you think that Usek is not going to be able to land as easily as Wallen landed, then I think you're mistaken. If you think that Usek is not going to give Tyson Fury as many issues in terms of his foot, foot movement and his foot speed as uh, Steve Cunningham did, again, I think you're mistaken. I think people are going to be alarmed at the issues Usek and Hunter can give these big heavyweights. I'm not saying they're necessarily going to beat them all. But they're going to have serious issues. I'm telling you. <laughs> I've never been so sure of something. They're going to give them real issues. Now my suspicion is. That Tyson Fury will actually struggle more. With Usek and Hunter. Than AJ will. And I still think AJ is going to have problems with him. But I think Fury is going to have more problems with him. Again, because styles make fights. Now, Fury might be AJ. But there are going to be certain opponents who AJ deals with, in my view, easier than Fury. And the reason I think AJ might have a slightly less difficult time with Hunter and Usek is because AJ is sharper with his power shots at long range than Fury is. Fury has a very good jab, moves around, he's a lot more fluid than AJ. But when it comes to throwing sharp, accurate, powerful power shots at long range, AJ's better at that than Fury. His lead left hook, his right hand, his counter right hand over the jab, he's just sharper and more accurate with the long range power shots. And I think that will give Hunter and Usek more issues. With Fury, his punch technique isn't that crisp when it comes to throwing his right hand at long range. It's, it's a slightly crude. Uh, not as crude as his cousin Huey Fury, the way he throws his right hand, but still it's, it's, it's slightly crude. It's not that crisp the way he throws his long range power shots. And I think that will give Usek and Hunter opportunities, more opportunities to actually be able to maneuver themselves in and hit Fury and get away and stuff like that. They, they won't be in as much danger I don't think, when they're in that mid-range against Fury as they will be against AJ. But either way, I expect both those guys to give Fury and AJ plenty of problems. Plenty of problems. And it wouldn't, even, it wouldn't shock me in the slightest to see one of them beat one or both. It wouldn't shock me in the slightest. It's going to shock a lot of other people because they're making the same mistakes they made with Holyfield back in the day, underestimating Usek and Hunter because they're small and because they're going a distance with people. 
that the other guys are stopping. Big mistake. And time will reveal. Anyway, let me know what you guys think in the comments below. I'm out. If you'd like to access all my boxing content advert-free and enjoy the convenience of listening via a podcast app with the option to download in high-quality MP3, then consider joining me on Patreon. In addition to the aforementioned perks, you'll also gain access to exclusive weekly live stream Q&A sessions and hangouts, as well as uncensored, no-holds-barred uploads, which are too blue for YouTube. This includes my popular Confessions of a Nightclub Bouncer series. Just head on over to my Patreon page and select the tier called Hatman Boxing Extra. There's no contract, there's no commitment, it's only £2.50 a month and you can cancel at any time. So come and join our community of hardcore boxing enthusiasts by signing up with me here on Patreon today.